0: Well, welcome all you wiretappers out there back here in the studio of Gangland Wire. I have a, an interesting show about a, a, a mob family uh, that I've wanted to look at for a long time because when I was a young man growing up, Youngstown, Ohio had this reputation of of being just a, a total mob town, mafia city and and. Corrupt and and I just never have gotten around to it for some reason. Well, I got hold of uh, I was gotten hold of by a guy here, our guest Johnny Chiquitelli. Welcome, Johnny.
1: Thank you for having me, Gary. So Hello. Johnny
0: is uh, one of the producers on a new podcast coming out. Uh, I believe it's going to be like a limited series podcast. It's not going to go on ad infinitum like I do. Uh, called Crooked City, Youngstown, Ohio, and and it tells a lot about. Mob life in Youngstown, especially from the sixties and seventies on. I've listened to a few episodes and and I tell you what, they're, they're fascinating. Reminds me a lot. If you guys listen to, I believe it was Gimlet, uh, uh, podcast, kind of a network put out something called, um, Oh God, uh it's on Providence Crime Town. It was on Providence, Rhode Island and, and Raymond Patriarch in that era or that area and in during this same time frame. And it reminds me a lot of that. It's a it's a great one, guys. You need to go out and find that uh crooked city, Youngstown, Ohio. So uh, you know, it started in the you know, in the 60s, we were just talking about it a little bit before we got turned on the cameras here. And, and in the 60s, that's when it first got its name, Crime Town. Tell us about that, Johnny.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks Gary. It it really did get that persona that you were talking about um where it was known as Crime Town USA. That was the 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 name, the nickname given to it by the Saturday Evening Post. Mm. And uh the early 60s it was John Kobler this this um reporter that would come here and stay here for, you know, days and weeks and he would meet these guys and he would go to the purple cow downtown or he would go different places and and uh, and mingle with cops and, and crooks and write the article. And he wrote the uh, a pretty big piece called Crime Town USA that was a, a cover piece, cover story for Saturday Evening Post. So ever since then, it kind of had that reputation, got that name. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that, you, you know, it, you definitely brought it up earlier. It, the show that we just produced, Crooked City. Um, would have been called crime town in any other, you know, incarnation, right. Mark, one of our, one of our producers are our, our main producer on the show, Mark Smirling who narrates, uh, crooked city as well. He produced crime town, the <laughs> Providence Rhode Island show, and they did another season on Detroit. And he actually got the name for that series. I think from reading one of the, one of the articles on Youngstown, um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, eventually later on, David Graham wrote another piece called Crime Town in the 90s. And it was Crime Town, the city that fell in love with the mob. And it was, uh, you know, a whole different piece. So that might have been the one that he read. But either way, I'm coming to you right now from downtown Crime Town. <laughs> oh, great. You know, what's
0: interesting, I think, as I looked into Youngstown, Ohio, a little bit closer is partly its geographical location, uh, you guys are located about halfway between Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which has a Genovese a, uh, connected mob family, uh, La Roca family, uh, maybe the last iteration of it. And uh, Cleveland, which had its own family. It, it was a variety. John Scalish was the boss there for a long time. And I think Angelo Leonardo who go, went all the way back his relatives were some of the founders of the mob in, in Cleveland. So there's this, Long mob history within what uh fifty sixty miles on either side of it two kind of major families, so Youngstown's caught in the middle that that should set up some interesting uh conflicts right there,
1: yeah and Youngstown was unique because you're right, it was so close to these two families, and it wasn't run by either one of them in the beginning it wasn't it was wide open it was the city was known as being wide open. That was kind of what gave it a little bit of the crime town, uh, mystique was the guys would come in from Buffalo and, um, you know, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit. Uh, they would come set up shop in Youngstown and they didn't have to, you know, it wasn't one family controlled it back then, back in the forties through the sixties. Um, it really goes back. You mentioned, uh, the, the families out of out of Cleveland and out of Pittsburgh, uh, Leonardo uh, really, and
0: Laroca, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, there was even Licavoli, uh, Jack White. Licavoli had a large presence in the Youngstown area through the '40s and the '50s before he became boss in Cleveland. After uh, Scalish passed away, um, Licavoli had a big presence here in the Mahoning Valley and mm-hmm. out, right outside of Youngstown, Warren, the neighboring county, Trumbull County. Um, there's that's a part that kind of gets overlooked too is Youngstown's a small city, relatively small city um to have such big mafia presence right and it's the metropolitan area that surrounds it the little townships and 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 districts and unincorporated spots throughout all those years kind of uh, fed into into the 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 love of the mob as well and we're very corruptible and the whole area as a whole Became this crime town area, almost bigger than Youngstown in a way, um, but it's very unique. It's it's an interesting story. I've been trying to tell it for uh, about twenty years now, and to finally get this podcast out there is uh, is really good and and it's been well received. Uh, it, it's one of the prouder moments, you know, of things that I've done. So
0: <laughs> cool. Now, you know, Youngstown, Ohio, to me, is kind of the poster child for the breast belt. Cities uh, as as steel and coal uh, kind of fell during the seventies, and you already had you had all these working guys, a lot of union guys, a lot of blue collar men, and gambling and drinking is is huge. I I was one of those guys. My first seven or eight years of life, where I became a copper. I was a union guy, and I know that life. And gambling and drinking is a big part of it, and. Uh, And the mob likes to be around a lot of men who like to gamble and drink. And and that was
1: part of the attraction, I would say. A big part of it, why why it was able to thrive in Youngstown. Um, Youngstown is a melting pot of a lot of different immigrants, European immigrants, uh, especially from all these different countries. And that was kind of one thing that everybody shared in common was everybody liked to gamble. They came in from the old country, from from uh, wherever they came from in Europe. We had four major lottery houses throughout the forties and fifties, uh, that battled for control of the numbers. And in Youngstown, they had a unique name for the numbers. We called it the bug. And so instead of a lottery house, you call it a bug house mm-hmm. and your bug runners and the numbers runners and all that. Uh, eventually, it, you know, it was the, the Greeks actually had the biggest operation. There was Italians, there was Croatians, and two brothers that ran a, an Irish house. And eventually, the Italians took it over. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the end of the 50s, the Italians kind of consolidated the bug in Youngstown, and they showed that they uh, they weren't afraid to bomb the competition. And we had about 80 unsolved bombings throughout the 1950s. So that also led to um, the, the city's kind of uh, – you know, sinister nicknames. It was another one, Bomb Town, because, wow. like I said, eighty unsolved bombings uh, throughout a decade is you know pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, and you know, not all of them were were car bombs. There was a few, and Youngstown started to get a nickname, the Youngstown, or uh, not a nickname, a um, a trademark, I guess. They called it the Youngstown Tuneup which was when somebody's car got tuned up. It's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but a lot of them were were intimidation, were construction sites or, um, you know, houses, things like that, uh, just to kind of intimidate people into doing, you know, what they wanted them to do. So um, throughout the end of the 50s, then it became a little violent. Our, the first death of a car bomb, a Youngstown tune-up, uh, was in 1959,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it was a Greek kid. Uh, Chris Sophocles was, was blown up in 1959. Uh, one of the main suspects was the Carab- one of the Carabia brothers,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who uh, was never charged, and no, nobody was ever charged for it. So after that point, it became very violent in the early 60s. In 1960, uh, one of the local, you, you could call him a boss because there was no family that ran the town at that point. In, 19, in the 1960s, they weren't under officially the Laracas or uh, Scalish's family. Youngstown was wide open, as I kind of mentioned earlier. And the first kind of uh, inkling of the, that changing was a guy named Sandy Naples was was gunned down in front of uh, his girlfriend's house along with her. Mm-hmm. He, every night, like clockwork, he would come visit his girlfriend. who was about 15 or 20 years younger than he was. And... He was uh, shot down by some, some shotguns that were stolen from the Canton Police Department,
2: <laughs> he and his girlfriend.
1: Uh, that murder was never, was never officially solved. Um, his younger brother, Billy Naples, blows up in a car bomb a year later. And at that point, his little brother, uh, little Joey, takes over the operation and runs kind of Youngstown for another 20 years or so, 30 years. So, the Naples Brothers were the first kind of big youngstown names of of to become the bosses if you if you would, around here. Um, later on, Joey Naples, the youngest brother, would eventually be made into the Pittsburgh mob uh, under uh, Michael Genovese and those guys, so after La Rocca. Um, so those those guys have a long through line, the Naples Brothers. And there was a fourth brother who never got into any trouble um, with the law, even though he was definitely with all of his brothers. His name was James. They called him Jinx. I know they used to call you Jinx. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Jinx, Jinx Naples. So there was four brothers. But they're, they're just some of the characters. At, at one point in the early 60s, when Sandy Naples gets killed, um, a gentleman he was rivaling against at the time uh, named Vince De Niro. He got blown up in a car bombing not long after Sandy died. So it was a lot of retaliation going back and forth. Um, At one point, those guys were were friends, Sandy and Vince, and Sandy didn't want to kick up to anybody. As I've later found out with FBI files of of the era, Uh, all the informants were telling the FBI that Sandy wouldn't kick in and and pay up, and, and Vince was associating himself With Cleveland guys by the time he died so Sandy I should back up has ties to the Pittsburgh side because he served time in western uh western Pennsylvania penitentiary uh for 10 years from the 30s to the 40s so he gains a lot of kind of alliances with guys from from that side of the state line Mm -hmm. you have to figure Youngstown you mentioned geographically we're right on the line on the state line of Pennsylvania and Ohio Mm -hmm. so you know, a lot of, a lot of people have a lot more allegiances to Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania than they do to Cleveland. You know, that's why you get a lot of Steelers and Browns (laughs) (laughs) football season. You know, there's still those divides. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's, uh, this 1960s were rife with back and forth warfare. And I mentioned to you, Sandy Naples getting gunned down. Uh, his brother, Billy blows up in a car bomb. Vince De Niro blows up in a car bomb. Uh, there was some other ones as well around that time, but probably the most notable was, and, and it's when things began to change in Youngstown, uh, 1962, Cadillac Charlie Cavallaro. Cadillac Charlie uh, was taking Vince De Niro under his wing. He was a big earner, this kid. He was bringing him to Cleveland to Licavoli to those guys. They'll say, uh, Tony the Dope, Del Santer, some of these guys that ran the area and were associated with Cleveland. Uh, And so when Vince gets caught up in the back and forth and he gets blown up on a busy Market Street uh, here in Youngstown, Cadillac Charlie was the next to go. And unfortunately, the way they did it was they rigged his car when it was in the garage. and. They 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 trace his movements. He would always uh, drive on a certain sch- you know schedule, whatever. Well, they did it over Thanksgiving, and they figured the kids wouldn't go to school. He usually he used to drive his kids to school, and uh, this particular day, his kids, two of his sons, had football practice, oh. and he took them out to the garage to get in the car, and uh, one of them had gotten in the car, Tommy, uh, twelve years old, and. Cadillac Charlie he turned the, the keys to the ignition and it blew up. Mm. Uh, his, his other son, uh, Charlie Cavallero, was uh, was injured, severely maimed, you know and, uh, and, and Charlie died and, and so did Tommy. And so that changed a lot in Youngstown. that obviously brought the heat.
2: more oh, than that would ever-
1: change
0: everything. Talk about changing the rules of the game. oh man.
1: And you always you always hear that the mob outlawed, you know, bombings and you know such, right? It's like I said, Youngstown was a town at this time that didn't fall under the rules. So you could do whatever you wanted. It was mm-hmm. that wide open. And bombings were I told you the whole nineteen fifties, they went unchecked. So when they start killing each other with the bombs, uh, eventually that brought in the national heat. And that's when the Saturday Evening Post did that article. Uh, and, uh, uh, after that point, attorney general, Bobby Kennedy orders the FBI to go infiltrate Youngstown. And, uh, they, they, I talked to an FBI agent, um, from that era. He's long been retired a long time now. And I forget where he went. Uh, he went somewhere down South after he left Youngstown and was a, was a head of an agency, a residency out there. But he told me that the agent said, "Well, what's our jurisdiction? You know, you're sending us to Youngstown. What are yeah. we? What are we? What's our What are we doing?" And he said, "Find the jurisdiction." And they did. They found that the dynamite used to kill Charlie was taken from Pennsylvania. <laughs> Interstate shipment, <gentleman>, baby. <laughs>
0: I've seen that line.
1: happen. <laughs> yes. And uh, and so that was their jurisdiction. They came in and they really did uh, shut things down. They they turned. The they sent the mob underground, you know, in other cities, the mob has always been underground. Yeah. Youngstown, it was right out in front. It was those guys, Sandy Naples. Sandy Naples was on the front page of the newspaper, the Youngstown Vindicator all the time. They actually caught him. Sn- the sneaking out of the county jail to visit his girlfriend,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so you know they would just let him out and let him back in, and uh, that's it, it. Was the the corruption in Youngstown was uh, was unparalleled. Cobler um, in that Saturday Evening Post has a quote where he says the public here expects you to take money, and he meant as a as a police officer, as an elected official, mm-hmm. uh, you know everybody's palms were greased so you know to have that much kind of corruption um and such a, a you know deep ethnic background you yeah. know like I said there were there were Croatian guys getting blown up uh big John Schuler they got they they had to do it twice because <laughs> you know survived the first one um so many other other you know guys in that era that were getting gunned down, getting blown up. It was uh, truly wild and after that Cavalero bombing uh, in 62 and the FBI comes in, the mob goes underground and at that point Cleveland tries to make a big play and establish Youngstown and say, "You know what? There's rules and you have to follow these rules." Uh unfortunately, you know, the Pittsburgh side uh Joey Naples the, the surviving um vindictive Naples brother I guess was aligned with Pittsburgh because of his his brothers and their connections and Sandy's connection all that so it became a uh, uh, very tense and it was like in the Youngstown area at that time the Cleveland side gave power to these the Carabia brothers mm-hmm. and the Pittsburgh side said they had a guy named Jimmy Prato Briar Hill Jimmy Prato Briar Hill's an area in Youngstown with where the first Youngstown Italians came. It's Briar Hill. They also called him Two Gun Jimmy Prado. You can understand why. Uh, he was a lot older than Joey Naples, and he was a made man of the Pittsburgh crime family. So he was in charge. And the Cleveland side and the Pittsburgh side eventually started taking different territories, and you know you're going to clash, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the peace kind of was kept for a few years, but along the way, Joey Naples was rising and he was taking out a few guys on the way. And uh, by the time the 70s came, it was uh, like a powder keg that kind of went off again and there was a big war. There was an- another big war. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the way that, that ties in with, you know, Cleveland kind of shooting themselves in the foot and Cleveland imploded. Really, after the Danny Green, you know that story right Danny Greens story they uh you know it's it's also no no coincidence that by the way, the guy who pushed the button that blew up Danny green. And it was a Youngstown tune up. He was from Youngstown. It
0: was, it was a Carabia, wasn't it? A Carabia involved with that uh, Danny yeah, Green? Ronnie,
1: Ronnie Carabia, exactly. Right. And, and, and for uh, you,
0: you guys that were talking about the Danny Green story in Cleveland, it was a, a pivotal story. There's a book and a movie called Kill the Irishman out there. And, and uh, I highly recommend. Really? Uh, this Danny Green was an upstart union guy, young Irishman that. That wanted a piece of the action, the bigger action, not just his little longshoreman's union. I think he was. Uh, and and the mob didn't want to share anything. And and they went in like open warfare. Really, he was it was wild until they finally got him with a bomb. And, and what's interesting about that bomb is, is they didn't put it in his car. They put it in the car next to his car. It sounds yeah. like something they do in Sicily or in Northern Ireland and put yeah. it in the car next to his car and then watch as he got in. And, and, you know, Johnny, you mentioned about the mob not using bombs, but the mob does not want collateral action. We had quite a few bombings in Kansas City in the 70s, but they were really careful really really careful and and nobody there was no collateral damage at all so that's uh you know if you can get away with no collateral damage you're okay but boy that collateral damage will kill you well
1: yeah and the guy the guy who was uh suspected of planting the bomb so the Cavallero bombing um his name was dominic moyo he was uh an arsonist and a, and a hitman used by the naples brothers and he was out of canton as well but uh that at that point the FBI had allocated so much, so many resources to Youngstown, so many different agents. They brought guys in from everywhere to suddenly work in, in Youngstown, and they ran a case. The uh, they called it Cav Bomb, Operation Cav Bomb for Cavalero bombing, mm-hmm. where they wanted to solve it. They wanted to try to solve it. They never officially did, but there is you know, hundreds, if not a thousand, you know, pages on this on released through the FBI files and and the JFK files a few years back. Uh, They released a lot in that era. And if you can ever come across the ones called Cav Bomb, they really tell a lot. The agents uh, were trying to gain as much information as they could. They talked to a lot of different people. Some of them are named. Other ones are obviously just uh, the FBI file numbers, you know, Mm -hmm. the confidential informants. The top echelons, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, but there's some really, really fascinating stuff. And like I said, I've I've been able to talk to uh an FBI agent who worked the case, the Cav Bomb case, and um just learned fascinating things. And and you kind of learn what happened. Uh in in the end of that story is the mob kills Dominic Moyo, the suspected bomber, and you know, then they move on, and then it mm-hmm. was a wash at that point. <laughs> Joey yeah. Naples uh, was was allowed to thrive, and this guy was, you know, they found him in the trunk of a car, burned out car, with a bullet hole in his head. So they got rid of it. They they the mob, you can almost say, you know, they they solved their own case, <laughs> and uh, eventually that that was the conclusion that the FBI came to, mm-hmm. and they considered it, you know, officially solved, even un, or unofficially solved. I think it's mm-hmm. how they put it. So. It's just fascinating stuff, you know, what It out. is,
0: you know, and, and that whole corruption thing, that's then going to become even more important in the 70s with uh, with the sheriff that was brought in who becomes a, a legislator yep. and and that whole systemic corruption that they had going on, which anytime you've got the mob, uh, you've got a certain amount of systemic corruption within your police department and the uh, um, city council, you know, especially local politicians that are kind of where the rubber meets the road, shall we say, they're on the streets. And it was so much more open in the 50s and 60s. And it was like in the 60s, it started changing, I guess, maybe uh, uh, after after Appalachian and the FBI started in on the mob and Bobby Kennedy, they started having these public hearings. Why that, That's when it started changing.
1: Yeah, the, Appala- the Appalachian meeting, the summit there, there was there was guys, bosses from Pittsburgh and Cleveland at that meeting, and you know, uh, there, there was. It's funny that Youngstown's actually in uh, what Congress has a, a district; they call it the Appalachian states, and it's the a couple counties from Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Huh. And, uh, yeah, and yeah, it's it it, it it all goes up towards Buffalo and Erie. <laughs> you know, that's where, uh, the Appalachian meeting, but, uh, Yeah, yeah Pitch- so
0: Pittsburgh much. had kind of had the, uh, the, the, uh, blue collar union mob. They had the, uh, the hillbilly mob down
1: in the country. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's actually what, uh, I guess I'm part hillbilly, you know, <laughs> Italian, uh, <laughs> Italian <yeah>. hillbilly. <laughs> oh yeah. Great grandfather came in through, uh, West Virginia and the coal mines before they, uh, yeah. before they eventually made it to, uh, Youngstown and the steel mills, um, you know that's another thing too. It was a big industry town. Youngstown was a grimy, dirty town. You know, uh, just visually, you would look out and back then. There's there's postcards with just black skies because the, there were so yeah. many mills, so many steel mills booming in this small town that lined the Mahoning River. Um, so it was it was a very you know, grimy place too. And uh as, as the mills gave so many guys paychecks. And those that's what really made the, the mob thrive here as well, is they supplied all the vice. You know, these guys were were well paid and they worked hard and they wanted to blow off steam and whatever different vices they had. And that's what the mob did. They provided all of that. Uh, and that's why when the mob, when the mills started closing at the end of the 70s suddenly Youngstown shut down because it was a one horse town yeah. as far as industry goes so suddenly 50,000 jobs and that's not an exaggeration over a 5 year span are gone in a town this size that's the town so the mob uh started really fighting at that time I think over the scraps what was left they you know there was now both sides didn't have enough to survive. Oh, now it can only be a one family <laughs> town. And it all happened right around that time that Danny Green gets killed because Ronnie Carabia, who was part of the Carabia brothers that ran Youngstown for Cleveland, he goes away on a life sentence. And suddenly the Pittsburgh side or the, the Cleveland side gets weaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ended up, the, his, one of his brothers, Charlie Carabia, uh, ended up going missing, went to a meeting, um, called by Lenny Strollo, another made guy, Youngstown guy, made in Pittsburgh, um, under the Jimmy Prado tree. Uh, so he gets called to a meeting out there and disappears. And now suddenly, instead of three crabby brothers out there, there's only one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and, and things got leveled out a little bit more and then Cleveland just fell apart. All the, eventually yeah. the Cavoli went away. Um, the boss who planned the Danny Green killing—that's um, a whole fascinating story. You know, I'm sure you know Jimmy Jimmy uh, Fratiano, the Weasel, right? In his book and his story. Interesting fact: what finally got him to cooperate and testify? Because he was always cooperating with the FBI. But he never.
0: Yeah, Fradiano. Jimmy Fradiano, folks. If you don't remember, was a former Cleveland guy. Grew up, went to Southern California. Was a made guy out there, and and had connections. He had connections all over the United States, but had close connections back to Chicago, and maintained those connections in Cleveland. Started, doing, he was a deep throat informant. He was a, a top echelon informant for a while, and then. Go ahead and tell us about his connection right. to why he got so scared after the Cleveland deal.
1: Well, they finally had him. The FBI finally got him. Uh, he was on a boat in Trumbull County, just outside of Youngstown. Um, he was on a boat on Mosquito Lake. Terrible name for a lake here. But they, they- <laughs> Really? Not exactly a vacation <laughs> destination. <laughs> People still go. Uh, <laughs> mobsters included and, and they they had a a meeting on a on a on a boat mosquito lake where they listened to conversations from danny green's girlfriend and she set a dentist appointment for him they had already tapped his phones they were trying to get him any way they could so they figured they'd be smart and they plan it out and they'd listen to where he was going to go mm-hmm. and they were listening to Uh, His girlfriend, if you watch the movie, they say his girlfriend's from Youngstown. That that may or may not be true. I don't know that. But they were listening to uh, these recordings on a boat on Mosquito Lake. It was, Licovoli was there. Uh, Ronnie Carabia was there. Um, Ray Ferrito, the other hitman involved, was there. Um, Jimmy Fratiano, who was recommended Ferrito for the job, he was there as well. Uh, and A couple other guys too, but they—that's how they finally got. Fratiano is—they had him on a murder charge, a Rico mm-hmm. murder. They finally had him, and he had no choice at that point, and that's why he testified. That's why he, he said he officially, you know, went on stand against these guys.
0: Yeah,
1: because you know, he never that, done that before.
0: At that time in Cleveland, also the uh, skimming from Las Vegas case called Strawman that started here in Kansas city and, you know, brought Cleveland into it. Uh, uh Milton Scalish, uh, Macy or not Milton Rockman, Macy Scalish, uh, uh Macy Rockman, get my Scalish and my Rockman mixed up. They were pals, but, uh, I- anyhow, um, uh, Macy Rockman was picking up the skim up in Chicago from Las Vegas, and they were got him on the wire. And then Angelo Leonardo, who had become the boss, then they get uh, give him a huge sentence for narcotics. And he turns and he testifies all about the skim and, and anything going on in Cleveland. So Cleveland, it was like a, a perfect storm. I hate using that cliche, but it was this perfect storm of situations that happened that yeah. were just took them down, basically took all their power.
1: And he talks about in that, you know, how they were getting those guys Lickavoli of and those guys were getting their cut. And then as soon as he became the boss, he started getting his cut, you know, and, and, and of the of the Vegas money, yeah, uh, the skim. So yeah, Angelo Leonardo is actually. You'll hear some of that testimony in Crooked City if you get that far. Uh, whether it's episode five or six, I can't remember right okay. now. But it's called the Younger Guys, and it starts off with his testimony before Congress. They they actually you can't see it because it's an audio only podcast. Yeah but they had him behind a curtain so you couldn't see his face yeah. and uh it was a big show and he testified that the younger guys were out of control you couldn't control them anymore and um it's pretty interesting funny for him to say that because <laughs> as a young man he actually and his own mother killed a guy outside of a place in downtown cleveland as revenge for you know his his yeah. father's <laughs> killing, you know, so it, it's, it, it, you know, he, I guess the older you get, everyone just uh, has the gripe with the youth. You know. <laughs> really? <laughs> but, we, uh, we always
0: think they just can't do it the way we did.
1: <laughs> I don't, exactly. I've heard that all my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you'll hear Ange Leonardo in, uh, in Crooked City a little bit, talk about some of these guys. Um, he, he actually solves a Youngstown murder years before it ever goes to trial, uh, a legendary one of a, of a hitman at that in that time named Joe DeRose. Uh, he says they ask him a bunch of questions about this this hitman Joe DeRose from Youngstown. Um, he was aligned with a, uh, a few different people, and then eventually he became aligned with the Carabias in Cleveland, and Joe. Was a loose cannon, and he had killed a few people. He got out of prison, killed a few of the of the guys that were money makers for Pittsburgh, and and uh, was kind of getting a reputation. And the word got out that he was trying to kill Joey Naples. Okay, little Joey Naples. So now Joey's a, a a boss, you know, of Youngstown at this point. He's really running the show, um, and he gets protection. He gets worried, hires bodyguards, gets you know a is they go to the mattresses, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, a lot of enforcers to come join them. And he wants to take out DeRose first. So Ange Leonardo testifies. They ask him about this Joe DeRose because he goes missing in 1980. And they ask him and they said, uh, what can you tell us about Joe DeRose? He says, well, uh, I knew every, I heard about him. I never met him, but I knew both sides wanted him dead. <laughs> Cleveland had turned on him and wanted and was giving him up to, to Pittsburgh. So uh he said I knew both sides wanted them dead. So one of Joe's buddies is a burglar uh in town and they start coming after him trying to get to Joe. They killed Joe's dad on an accident. Wow. They shot they shot him uh moving Joe's Joe Junior's car. Okay. Uh they shot him and his girlfriend. While walking down the street um, or to, to his apartment, they ambushed him and shot, and he survived that. His girlfriend survived with a couple bullet holes, mm. and uh, they really tried to get him. So eventually, he goes missing. And Angelo Leonardo testifies that his own friend uh, had gotten shot and didn't know, and you know, was trying to get was trying to get uh, back in good graces with the mob. Mm. And so he sends word to a guy named Patsy Ferruccio, who was a longtime mobster from Akron with the Cleveland family. Ended up going to Pittsburgh back and forth. It was he 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 was one of those guys that could go between families almost. Uh, you know, a console Yeti and a, around back and yeah. forth. Um, but this guy tells Patsy, hey, they're trying to kill me. If I get rid of Joe DeRose. Will that squash my beef with the mob? That's cold, man. That's and cold. An, and Angelo Leonardo says, tells uh, uh, these senators this, uh, that I didn't know Joe DeRose, but I knew both sides were trying to get rid of him. So I told him, yeah, tell him that. <laughs> and he said, I didn't. I never met this guy, this burglar. I never, you know, nothing. I never uh, put a hit on him, any of that. But I said, yeah, you tell him if he he gets rid of Joe Rose, (laughs) we swear. And sure enough, Joe Rose goes missing. And later, many years later, that that burglar was um, uh, finally convicted or not convicted, uh, um, indicted for that crime and died awaiting trial. And uh, it's just crazy stuff. And so, you know, Angelo Leonardo really kind of uh, like he was the end of the Cleveland. He was the last big boss in Cleveland. And then Pittsburgh took it over, all of Youngstown at that point, and um, you know, really, they had it till the end. Yeah,
0: so. you know, Johnny, this is fascinating. Could you come back and and talk again about the uh, about the eighty more up in the seventies and eighties when Pittsburgh's taking it over, and uh, what was that guy's name, Strollo, when Lenny Strollo becomes yep. the boss, and and uh, the corruption with the the sheriff and the legislature, Jim Traficant?
1: Jim Trafficking. yeah, yeah
0: he he was a character. he I, I listed some of those episodes with him and they had some quotes from him.
1: <laughs> Isn't it crazy that we that we just had you know uh, this long chat and we haven't even talked about Jim Trafficking.
0: right, right. well, let's come on you want to come back and talk about him
1: yeah, and for for folks who don't know, a quick uh quick thing he was our our sheriff turned well, first of all, I should go back, he was an NFL drafted quarterback. Hmm. Who becomes a sheriff of Youngstown, Mahoning County? Who becomes a congressman? Who becomes a convict? So that's his. <laughs> that's his. His. His uh, professional uh, resume. But <laughs> more than any of that, he was an unbelievable character. And I'd love to come back and tell you about it.
0: He was, he was your buddy. Siasse, I think is the guy's name in
1: (laughs) Providence. Yeah. He was, he he really is the through line of the crooked city podcast. That's Really?
0: All right. We will,
1: we will bring you
0: guys back next week or probably in a few days. This would be a two part uh, series on Youngstown, Ohio. The name of the podcast is Crooked City, Youngstown. I have Johnny Cacciatelli here. He'll come back in a few days. Uh, Don't forget, look out for motorcycles when you're out there driving around. And if you have a problem with PTSD and you've been in the military, be sure and go to the uh, Veterans Association, Veterans Administration website and, and get that hotline. So thanks a lot, Johnny.
1: Thanks for having me, Gary. I appreciate it.